Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Behind the Blank Slate podcast. My name's Teresa. Hi, I'm Robin. And we really started this podcast to talk about mental health, our experience, offer support and resources to other people, as well as maybe other pre-licensed therapists. Yeah, so the purpose of our podcast is to destigmatize mental health. We have the privilege that we are both associate therapists. So we went to grad school. We are very heavily involved in the mental health world. So we kind of wanted to impart some of our education, knowledge, and experience, as well as our struggles with our own mental health a little bit and help destigmatize the whole process because it is still very stigmatized. Definitely. And before we even jump in, we just want to start with a disclaimer. You know, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It's not or intended to be therapy, a form of psychological services or advice. This is not a replacement for therapy. You know, it doesn't constitute a therapist-client relationship. And we're also not able to respond to specific questions about like personal situations. Um, So that would mean like direct emails or anything. They won't be responded to. So if you're a current or past client, also remember that contacting us through this podcast email may jeopardize your confidentiality as as multiple people have access to this email. If you are in need of support or advice, please consult with your mental health provider and physician for your safety and well-being. And if you're in crisis, please call 911 or your local 24-hour hotline. Okay, so to start off, let's talk about who we are, how we got into this field, and a little bit about us as therapists. So, Teresa, why don't you start us off? Definitely. So, again, my name is Teresa, everyone. We are two pre-licensed therapists in California. So what that means is we went to graduate school. We have a master's degree. We're currently on the road to attaining our hours for our license. And in California, for um, a master's level therapist license, it's a pretty long road, a few years. Um, Finish your education. You need supervised hours. You have to sit for two exams. And then you become a licensed therapist. So that's kind of where we are, like, clinically in the process. Um, But just a little bit about, like, me in general and, like, how I came to this field. Um, For me, it was always a pretty clear path. I knew in high school, I wanted to do something that helped people. I took AP psychology and I was like, this is it. I don't know what what it is in here, but like, this is it. I'm going to do something in psychology. For a couple months, I thought, oh, I'll be a social worker. <laughs> but then very quickly, it changed to, I want to be a therapist. And so in college, you know, I, I started college doing more research, thinking, you know, I had only heard about PhD programs and being a psychologist. So for that, they're pretty research-heavy PhD programs. So I started doing research in undergrad. I even transferred schools to a research level one university, um, did research for about four years, and then just found out, like, my heart really was in clinical. I applied to master's programs uh, before just confirming that I like clinical work because it's really hard to do before you're in graduate school. There is no direct experience. Totally. Yeah, so I started doing that, um, realized I love clinical, and was kind of okay with changing my relationship with research, I guess. It it became more of like doing research, reading about research, discussing research for my clinical cases, rather than like conducting studies. 
and that being the focus of my world. So it was kind of a big shift for me Mm -hmm. to end up being like a fully clinical person. But I think it was an important journey that I went through all the research stuff because we still use it as therapists. Like we have to, right? Like that's where all of our interventions come from. Um, So it was a little bit of a windy road, but that's kind of how I ended up being a therapist. Yeah. And I loved watching you go through that process too, because you are like so research oriented, but also you have such a strength in clinical work, working with people like it was, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was so great. Like, <laughs> we went through grad school together, so it was so great yeah. having Teresa. Like, she is Aww. so great clinically, yeah. <laughs> oh, Robin's amazing. Yes, we met in graduate school. Um, I feel like we were polar opposites in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And, like, as we went through the training program and did our own work and, you know, remained friends, I feel like we found a lot more, like, similarities in each other. Totally. We did. It's so funny. And we're – so we do what's called practical while we were in school Uh so Teresa and I were both trained at different sites but kind of similarly so Teresa why don't you explain like how you were trained yeah so my site I would say is like primarily psychodynamic which is like a stem from the work that Freud did early on in the field of psychology but essentially it's very emotions focused my site was also very trauma informed we also did a lot of like inner child work grief and loss work Um, so primarily psychodynamic but definitely integrated with other modalities but I know your site seemed to be much more strictly psychodynamic yeah definitely I wonder if you can tell us like what was that like to have a very strict training of like you can't go outside the lines uh-huh. um, <laughs> so I feel like to talk about that I'd kind of have to go backwards because I am not like a strict type of person like um, it's just not in my nature to do the kind of training initially like that I did so how So yeah, so I'm a pre-licensed therapist as well. I'm an associate, meaning we have like a provisional license number once we graduate and do a gazillion hours of paperwork. Um, (laughs) Yes, (laughs) so much paperwork. Other pre-licensed people, you know the pain. (laughs) Yeah. um, So how I got in the field was really different. I was not good at school. I was definitely one of those people that... um, I like school. I liked learning, but I wasn't consistent. I wasn't good at like staying with something, like sticking with something. I dropped, I started dropping out of school literally in elementary school and then middle school and then high school once, community college twice. Um, (laughs) Cops were called multiple times because when you're a minor, you know, you can't be truant. It was just kind of a mess. Um, And yeah, so I had a really different experience education wise. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do as a career. I definitely didn't think I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to get far away from the mental health field because I think I struggled with my own mental health so much. It was so exhausting. Um, I just wanted to get away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, I was in foster care in high school. I wasn't like college bound. I didn't have like a career in mind. I just took the SATs because I saw it in teen movies. I wouldn't have known otherwise to do it. And I didn't even care about getting into college. Honestly, I just thought that this was something I had to do because I saw like teen movies. Um, Uh So yeah, I took the SATs again. I was in foster care, so we don't get any kind of rights. We don't get our own mail. So I never actually got the results of my SATs. I 
landed in community college because I took an accelerated accounting class in high school once I went back from dropping out. And That's awesome. <laughs> it got I didn't me- take an accelerated accounting course. <laughs> it got me um, credit at a community college. So I was essentially already had like an in there. So all I had to do was register and I already had credits. And it was like, just kind of a whim that I even got in and I'm also Uh dyslexic and um (laughs) and I always forget because I didn't have any interventions in school so I always forget I'm dyslexic and it it's not an all-the-time thing it mostly comes out like when I'm really tired or stressed like aka on tests (laughs) that had to be so hard though like you know to to be on your own to be fully independent so young Mm -hmm. and to not have guidance and to be dealing with mental health problems and not understand like how that really infiltrates your life like that must have been really difficult it was a really confusing time and so yeah totally so I ended up um emancipating I was living in a level 12 group home if you know anything about foster care you know level 12 is no joke so yeah so I was on my own starting from 17 and so Uh yeah navigating community college not a lot of motivation to do well Um, But I'm really glad I ended up, you know, figuring things out. I was a psychology major because I wanted to learn about myself, um, not because I wanted to help others at that time. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like that's the way a lot of people start out in that major. Like, no shame. People are like, people are just interesting. They're like, learning about my own brain is interesting. Right. And so with that knowledge, my symptoms started to ease up. And I wish I was in therapy, like I wish I had the foresight to go to therapy, but I didn't. Um, But just learning about mental health really helped my symptoms so much. So I was able to transfer to a four year, I got a full ride, thankfully. Um, Wow, congratulations. Thanks, yeah. (laughs) A lot of it was because I was in foster care. But yeah, I'm really excited about it. And so I ended up finishing my bachelor's in like six years, six and a half years, I have no idea. So yeah, it took me a little bit longer. And then, you know, I I worked three jobs, like from 16 to um, a few months ago. (laughs) (laughs) And see, I feel like this is where Robin and I are really similar. Like we both were independent really young. We both had to, you know, completely figure out how does the higher education system work? How does doing and paying your own bills work? Like we had to figure all that stuff out on our own and like really quickly. And I feel like, us finding our way to graduate school really was like a feat of like figuring out how does all this stuff work you have to take the SAT for college and then you have to take the GRE right for for master's programs and just all the little things that go along with that so I feel like that's also how we kind of ended up being such good friends we could really relate on that level of just like oh we had to figure this shit out and now we right. can like take a breather because now, now we're in our in a, you know we're young and we, we got all the stuff figured out already exactly and I say that because I took a lot longer getting my bachelor's and we also had so many jobs you and I both Teresa that we worked in yeah. a lot of different fields so I didn't always uh-huh. work in mental health I had some internships I ended up working at my group home once I was 18 for like six years. I didn't directly work in mental health, but I got to experience a lot of different career fields. And then once Uh I started really doing a lot of education, getting to know myself, I was like, you know what? I do want to work in mental health. I do want to help people just like me. And that's kind of, yeah, I ended up taking the GRE, getting into grad school on a whim. And On a whim? 
Totally yes. So Robin and I, of course, we had planned which schools we were applying to and all of that. We had actually, we didn't know each other at this time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just putting that out there. We did not know these other humans existed. And we both were like, we just need one more safety school. Like we just need one more, um, you know, school to, to help us feel comfortable. Like I was applying to PhD programs and master's programs right out of college. So if anyone knows anything about that process, you know, it's not very likely that you get into the PhD programs. Um, just because of like, experience people are applying to these programs with many many years of experience um so I actually decided to apply to the school that we went to like the day before I was like (laughs) copy paste change the name right I was like we're gonna do this and then it ended up being uh, like the school I really wanted to go to Right. And yeah, so it was totally on a whim for me as well. I think I did like a 2 a.m. Google search. What is grad school? What like what program do I need to be therapist? Like kind of thing. It was like at 2 a.m. I found two schools, like the top two schools that came up in the search. And those were the only two schools I applied to. And I'm really thankful that we both ended up there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm so thankful we both ended up there. I think it really matters like the people who are around you while you're becoming a therapist. And this is kind of a a spiel for other pre-licensed therapists. It's like the people we surround ourselves with really affect the way that we think about being therapists, the way that we think about the world, the way that we develop throughout these programs. Because a master's program in, in, in clinical psychology is not just like you go to class, you take notes, you take a test and you go home. It's like, yes, you're learning all these things and there are tests and notes, but it really involves so much personal work and reflection because everything we're learning about people applies to us too. We're human too. Right. It was so experiential. For me, socializing with people was really difficult for me. I had pretty bad social anxiety. I really didn't know how to be around normal functioning people. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of experience in that, you know, coming out of foster care where everything was so regulated and we do therapy on each other essentially like every single day for hours a day. So it's like whoever you sat next to, like, congrats. Yep. Y'all were partners for a lot of assignments for you to practice intervention. (laughs) So yeah, so you, you tell your classmates personal things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, that was really difficult. And then also like learning how to dress professionally, how to conduct myself professionally really growing into an adult really fast and so to get back to the original question yeah the the place I did practicum at was very strict psychodynamic which is like offshoot of like Freud's original ideas and we have a lot to say about Freud which we'll probably get into in another podcast but the core ideas are actually really sound and his daughter ended up taking them and adding to them um we do like a lot of Kleinian theory theory, object relations, um, ego defense mechanisms, of course, attachment styles is a huge one, developmental stages. And so yeah, I was trained very heavily in psychodynamic. Also, like, attachment goes in there, gestalt goes Mm -hmm. in there. Um, And then we just do trauma informed as a baseline, because it's just ethical, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what we do. Okay, so next I really want to talk about, you know, just what is therapy? Like, like let's clarify these things for, for people. Um, when I think of therapy, 
I think, you know, this is a time to process. This is a time to heal. This is a time to have someone that's objective, that's outside of your life, that's able to give you their point of view and help you see things. Maybe you have like a blind spot in um, and be a non-judgmental person to help you process that. I think a lot of people think therapy is like, oh, I'm talking to a friend. And then they give me an answer to a problem. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's so many misconceptions about therapy. We can Mm -hmm. go on about this for for hours, but we Mm -hmm. also, so therapists have different kind of trainings in terms of treatment, education about mental health stuff, how we conduct ourselves, what we can and cannot say, i.e. advice, giving our own opinions that should never come into therapy. So it's not talking with a friend. It's not like a polite conversation. It's not, it's not easy either. It's honestly a lot of work and can, and can make you feel like kind of torn down and broken apart a lot of the time. Definitely. I think people come out of therapy or like go into it thinking they will come out all happy and like their problems are fixed and they'll have this weight lifted off their shoulders, which sometimes yes. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes we just go in there and we're still in the process of digging into a problem and we come out not feeling so great. And that's normal. That's very normal. And it's part of the process and it's kind of, you kind of have to do that. It is, you can't go around it. You know what I mean? And so a lot of the times there's this misconception that a therapist is supposed to like solve all the problems, make you feel better. But a lot of the work we do is digging into the trauma and sorting it out, realizing where these kind of patterns and attachment like issues come from and really getting really deep into it. And that can take a while, honestly. Yeah, therapy also isn't like a short process. I think a lot of people come into like treatment programs or even start with an outpatient therapist thinking, ah, this will take one or two months, you know, we'll sort through it, I'll cry (laughs) one time, and then I'll just feel better and my problems will be fixed. And it really is like an ongoing process because really as humans, we never reach a certain level where we're like, okay, we have achieved pristine mental health. Like that just doesn't happen. We're always are continuing practicing and learning and uncovering and processing. And it just, I think it's always an ongoing process. Totally. I always say this, like mental health or good mental health is not a place we ever necessarily get to. It's not like the top point at a mountain. It's like Uh a muscle we have to build. And how do you build a muscle? You have to tear down, like it has to break apart and rip apart to build stronger and build new. Definitely. I agree. And then once you do that, you can start flexing it and becomes easier. You can go up in a weight class. So that's how I kind of conceptualize it. Like you start with like the five pounders, you move to 20, and then you're like bench pressing 250 kind of thing. And that's mental health. Yeah, I agree. I always explain to people it's it's a practice. It's not mm-hmm. a sprint. It's not, you know, a hurry up and get there tomorrow. Like it really is something that will take a while, will always be an ongoing practice. And like you said, you'll build that muscle up. It also won't feel like shit forever. Yeah, it gets, once you get through it and get through that really hard part, it gets easier. But I also want to say, as time goes on, as you grow up as a person, the things you talk about in therapy change too. And so I think one of my pet peeves is, oh, I did therapy when I was 10 years old. I don't need it anymore. Like, no, the issues that you had at 10 years old are probably not the same issues you have now at 25, 35, whatever it is. Uh Well, you may have some great coping skills that you got from when you were 10. You probably still need to talk about things. (laughs) Definitely, right? It's something you have to continually do and check in about. Not saying everyone needs to be in therapy every day for the rest of their lives. But like, yeah, you're right. 
when you're 10 and then when you're 35 and when you're 65, you're in really different life stages, which bring their own obstacles, no matter what, even if you're really working on yourself and trying to do all the right things, there will be life obstacles. Exactly. And so as therapists, you know, again, we have these provisional associate numbers. We behave in a certain way due to our like our ethic and legal code. Yes, we do have to follow ethical and legal codes. Um, So that means we're always following the law. And then we have an additional set of guidelines that we, I don't even want to call them guidelines because they're stricter than that. Mm -hmm. Um, They're like laws from our licensing boards and our ethical boards. Um, So yes, we are following laws, we're following ethics, and that really does dictate how therapy is set up. So that means, you know, for instance, like we said on here at the beginning of this episode, like a disclaimer of like, this is not therapy. We're not going to respond to you. That's one of our ethics. It's like, we don't do therapy with someone unless we're in a therapeutic relationship with that person. Also, what that means is that we don't violate confidentiality unless, Mm -hmm. okay, so there's specific instances that we can violate confidentiality. Maybe we can go through them to kind of shed some light because I see a lot of misconceptions about them on the internet. Definitely. Everything is confidential. We do not talk about you. We do, we do not use identifying information. We, we don't discuss cases unless one, there's something to do with elder abuse, which we kind of disclose the abuse to like a reporting body, Uh Um, child abuse. And um, dependent adult abuse. Dependent adult and child pornography. Yes. So all of those, there are specific reporting agencies that we do Mm -hmm. have to report to, as well as to our supervisors. Right. Um, We may also even discuss like, you know, thoughts of harm to yourself or others. We may also have to report that depending on the situation as well. Right. And again, it has to meet very specific criteria for us to be Mm -hmm. able to violate confidentiality. You can go to a therapist and say, I'm really sad. I think about killing myself. And that doesn't mean that we get to violate confidentiality. It doesn't mean we call your mom necessarily. It doesn't mean we do anything at that point unless you meet a very specific criteria. So again, we want you to feel safe and armed with this knowledge that you can open up to your therapist. Definitely. And really, when it comes down to it, the bottom line is like, just keep, you know, the client or if they're intent to harm someone else, try and keep them safe. That's really what it is. It's not like, oh, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And we're like, alert the media. Right. It's not like we're not going to (laughs) freak out at that. You know, we hear that um, pretty often. Like a lot of people go to therapy for that. So don't don't think you're going to scare your therapist or we can't handle it or it's going to turn into a circus. That's a really great point. Yeah. And we can handle it. And that's our job to handle it. And I think a lot of times clients even apologize for saying things. And this is our job. And yeah. we love we love to get to know you. And nothing scares us, like Teresa said. Definitely. I hear that a lot from caretakers. So these are the people, you know, that put everyone's needs ahead of their own and feel really guilty <laughs> when they ever take time for themselves, like going to therapy. Like therapy is a really big challenge for caretakers. And I hear that a lot from caretakers of like, I'm so sorry. This must be so stressful. I worry about you. Who supports you? And I'm just like, it's okay. We got support systems in place. Like that's literally part of our graduate program and our training is like, we have to figure out how to cope with the stories that we hear and how to do self care and make sure that we aren't burning out and that we aren't letting our own feelings affect the therapy. Right. And we do that because Mm -hmm. we're professionals. So we have to do that. Exactly. Um, It really is part part of our job. Yeah, exactly. It's part of our job, like getting dressed and like, you know, going to office. It's all part of our job. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I also another thing I want to say too about like the therapeutic relationship 
is that, you know, it's something that you as a therapist and you as the client, whoever is listening to this, choose to build. You know, you're both choosing to build that trust. I hear another thing of like, I'm just paying someone to be nice to me. And (laughs) no, (laughs) we definitely are not being paid to be nice to people. We do try to be compassionate and empathetic. And when we're quote unquote, not nice, it's not that we're being judgmental, but we do have to reflect maybe some unhelpful strategies you might be using, which might be really uncomfortable. So I don't want to say like, we're just being nice all the time, but you're right of like, we're definitely not being mean to you or cursing at you or anything like that. But we do reflect uncomfortable things about our clients that they may not want to explore, but that really need exploration. Yeah. And we're not saying anything nice or complimenting Mm because it's our job. Like I know sometimes when I give compliments, like it's very easy to say like, oh, you're paid to say that. Like, no, I'm never paid to say that. Actually, because I practice psychodynamic, I'm really not supposed to be giving compliments (laughs) kind of thing. But like once in a while, I'll throw it out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, because it's helpful to know, like, and get feedback on things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're not getting paid to be nice. Definitely. I hear you. Something that has been helpful to me to explain this to people is, you know, people do pay for our time. We're a service just like other businesses. You know, if you were paying a mm-hmm. stylist, if you're paying a makeup artist, whatever, you're paying mm-hmm. for our time. But the therapeutic relationship can't be paid for. Two humans have to decide to make that relationship and to build that trust. Totally. Another thing I want to talk about is advice giving. We do not give advice. We don't tell you what to do with big decisions. And a lot of people come to therapy like, I need you to tell me what to do with this huge life decision. We can't do that. The only things that we can recommend is maybe like coping tools and skills that have been like proven in science to work, such as like mindfulness practices, like certain exercises or whatever to like, you know, get blood pumping or something like that. Yeah. But we don't say like wash your mouth wash your kids mouths out with soap like we'll never say things like that right I agree I think a lot of people do come to therapy thinking someone else will make this decision for me someone else will figure it out for me but really you know we're here to help you reflect and think about and process how am I making this decision what are the the impacts of this decision what what's the emotional aspect am I avoiding something here why is this weighing so heavily on me we're really here to help you think about how you're making the decision that way you can make the best decision for yourself because at the end of the day we're not living your life for you therapists are going home to their own lives so y'all are stuck with the decisions you make right exactly and another thing that brings up is issues of diversity we will it is our job not to be like awful like what's another way to say that (laughs) um, I mean yes it's our job to be accepting (laughs) human beings you know Mm where we can't deny someone's service based on like sex gender race any of the any of the isms like that's not that should not be a part of a therapist's life right so we always make sure we're doing culturally competent therapy Mm -hmm. like um we're always mindful of like religious practices, beliefs and stuff like that. And we'll never tell you to go against a religion, to go against a culture kind of thing. Like a, a common thing I see come up is like, oh, the therapist told me to move out of my parents' house. However, I'm from XYZ culture where that's just not okay. That's not what we do. And so again, therapists should not be telling you move out of your parents' house. Right. You know what I mean? We're always doing culturally competent therapy. Definitely. And if that's something that people feel they're missing from their therapist, it's also okay to give your therapist feedback about that too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. let them know. Like your therapist is not going to get mad at you. They're not going to scream at you. You know, especially if that is something you're working on in therapy of like fear of being punished or something from childhood. 
like your therapist really should be open and non-defensive and listening to your needs because that's really our purpose we're there to help people you know get their needs met and advocate for themselves and you're allowed to do that in the therapy room as well yeah and therapists should have like a baseline knowledge about like cultures and diversity but also everyone's experience of culture and diversity can be so different and nuanced depending on so many factors so it's also pretty important for you to kind of say hey, my experience of my culture is X, Y, Z. So I'm struggling with this because of that kind of thing. Because we don't necessarily know all your lived experiences. Definitely. Yes, I agree. Like every therapist should definitely have a baseline knowledge of different cultures and how to practice culturally competent therapy. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't, you know, familiar with a culture and they get a new client to do that research, you know, therapists are supposed to take time out of their day to do research to do like new learning this you know for us looks like ce courses you know we have to take so many courses every couple of years to renew our licenses but also when we just need help with a case if we need more knowledge about something if we are stuck with something therapists are supposed to be doing like outside research to figure those things out so that it's not on our client's shoulders totally totally and i always use this example of like yeah like, let's say, like, California is, like, the broad, basic culture. So we as therapists know what California culture is like in general. However, someone from Los Angeles versus someone from San Francisco is going to have, they're going to have very different lived experiences of California culture. So that's kind of the difference there that we're trying to highlight. Therapists should have that California basic broad knowledge. But we don't know, like, you know, California I mean California Los Angeles versus San Francisco even within Los Angeles we're just I'm using Los Angeles as an example because that's where we live but like if you think about like West Hollywood versus Malibu versus Silver Lake it's all so different and you have such different experiences there definitely that's a really good analogy and I'm glad that we're talking about all these things too of of what our experiences are and misconceptions are because I think with this podcast I mean even our name behind the blank slate We want to give people a more in-depth look at what is therapy? What is the stuff like therapists are actually thinking about? What are, what are the steps therapists have to go through? Because therapy, you know, is not your therapist's time to talk about themselves, which makes complete sense. It has to be about the client, but here we want to give a more in-depth look, you know, what is going on in the therapist's brain? What, what training do therapists have? And for pre-licensed therapists too, like what this journey has been like to help offer support to other people. The point of this podcast behind the blank slate is to kind of understand therapy, understand the process, destigmatize mental health. We're going to use our education and our profession, essentially, to, to tell the general public about how therapy works. Like, And we'll go into different diagnosis, treatment planning, theoretical orientation. We'll go into all these things. So the veil is lifted. We're getting behind the blank slate into how therapy works. everyone before we wrap up we just want to do a weekly resource at the end of our podcast every week this week we want to highlight NAMI it's the National Alliance on Mental Illness you can find it at NAMI.org it's n-a-m-i.org their mission is to provide advocacy education support and public awareness to all people and families affected by mental illness so if you or someone you know needs support feel free to search their website and see what resources are available to you
Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you on your mental health journey. Please like and subscribe to our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram. I'm at Therapy with Robin, and Teresa is at Teresa Brown Wellness. Thanks.